is the Howie RevOps Podcast. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm a senior RevOps consultant at GoNimbly. Aligning your go-to-market teams and the tech behind them is easier said than done. And in this podcast, we talk about how we get there. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Howie RevOps Podcast. I'm your host, Adam. I'm a senior revenue operations consultant here at GoNimbly. And today we have Nikki with us, and we're talking all things customer journey mapping. And Nikki, would you like to introduce yourself? I would. I'm so excited to be here. Hey, everybody. I'm Nikki Mitchell. Um, I'm a RevOps delivery director at GoNimbly. I hear that you heard from my amazing counterpart and fellow delivery director, TJ, last week. Um, sorry, my accent's just not as cool as his. Uh, <laughs> Um, but I'm someone who has a background in consulting and data analytics, and I'm really passionate about how we use data to tell a story that has a real impact on human experience. Mm -hmm. And I'm all about thinking about the way that RevOps is really about interactions between humans. We have to remember that the way that we think about and prioritize our work. I'm so pumped that you said that because... There's so much more to RevOps than just dashboards and technology and data. Uh, <laughs> there's that human aspect. And I think that's where we're really seeing the cake not bake. And we just threw shared revenue goals uh, at the different go-to-market teams. So let's kick things off by asking, you know, what's a myth about your industry or profession that you would like to debunk? Oh my gosh, this is such a good one. So one of my favorites is thinking about like, what's really the role of RevOps in an organization? Because yeah. I think there's such a big misconception that people think, well, RevOps is there to serve the go-to-market team. You know, RevOps mm -hmm. like reports to marketing, they report to sales, they just do whatever those team needs. And uh, I think that when we take that approach, RevOps becomes really reactive. And it doesn't have the power to prioritize what's going to have the biggest impact for the organization. If I could debunk that myth, I would say, no, RevOps is there to serve the customer, to remove uh -huh. action from the buying experience, and to prioritize based on that. And they need to have uh, a perspective on what to prioritize in that space and be able to be an equal player in that space with sales, marketing, and customer success and all of these teams that really make up what we think of as RevOps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I think that there's a lot to prioritize and it's easy to get pulled away from the customer's experience and what the customer is thinking and feeling. And that's all about what we're going to talk about today with the customer journey mapping. It's a, it's a great way to get back to the customer's perspective. So if I could get a one sentence summary of what is customer journey mapping, uh, just to get folks kind of into the groove on this one, because I think it's a super valuable activity. I don't think it's as well of a known term as like, certain other tactics in our space. Yeah. I mean, we're going to talk a lot about how to place this in context, but I think like the really like the quick reality of it is customer journey mapping is a tool or a method for you to really put yourself in the shoes of your customer 
and think about what they're thinking and feeling and experience all the way through the journey of what it's like to buy from you and to become your customer. And what that's going to do is allow you to think about where are there gaps in that experience uh, that you could be solving for from the perspective of that experience instead of always taking the perspective of the process or the integration or tools on the back end that might need to be fixed to impact that experience. Yeah, I think it's a great succinct way of summarizing it. So, you know, what does a customer gap mean? I know that we, for us, gap first thinking is a big part of our philosophy and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how we approach things. But I think, you know, the term gap might mean a lot of things to a lot of people. So what does that mean uh, in the terms of customer gaps? And what does that have to do with RevOps? Well, Adam, if you've ever been to Old Navy, the gap is just like a slightly classier <laughs> right now. <laughs> uh, no, what a customer gap means and is, so, okay, first of all, in RevOps, we know that what we're all trying to do is we're trying to drive revenue. And we know um, that we do that by prioritizing work that's going to impact 3BC. That's a little bit of dragon for you that refers to volume, value, velocity, and conversion. These are all these ways that you can think about uh, moving more and bigger deals more quickly through your pipeline so that they become customers. And of course, we can't forget that a RevOps team also drives revenue by focusing on increasing retention and minimizing churn. Mm-hmm. But you have to remember that all of these metrics actually remember the behavior. Uh, sorry, all of these metrics actually measure the behavior of actual people that buy from you. So changing those metrics as a RevOps team to drive revenue means thinking about what that experience is like. So to answer what a customer gap is, a customer gap is any friction that your buyer or your customer encounters in their buying experience with you. And it's framed in terms of their experience, not the business processes or tools that might be creating the conditions for the friction to occur on uh, on the back end, on your side that you see it from. So um, I would say like a customer gap is really like how you have to think about um, these levers that you have access to, to actually impact things like 3VC that drives revenue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think I'd like to talk about how we find them. Yeah, and the reason why is because I came up on the go-to-market marketing side of things, and I, having worked with sales and CS teams, um, sales lives on get like they they understand that you need to work off of pain points. Um, you can't just push a product, um, and CS understands that too because. They're living in the gaps. They're getting live feedback and all sorts of information from the customer. And I think that it's more challenging for marketing teams, not that they don't care about the gaps or the pains that their their target audience feels, but it might be a little bit harder for them to find them. So I think all three teams struggle. Mm-hmm. And this this idea of customer journey mapping is a way to bring them all into the room together um, in some way, shape, or form to to identify those. But um, do you have any tips on like where to start with that process? Yeah, I think um, one of the things is like you have to think about like you can find customer gaps, and I kind of think of it as being three different ways because 
we're all already doing this. I think you named that really well, that these teams are, they are thinking about their customer. They are identifying gaps. And so like the three thing, three ways like mm-hmm. that we at GoNimbly think about like how you find customer gaps are these. It's like there's intuition, there's experience, and then there's directly through your customers. I want to talk a little bit about like what I mean by that. So let's start with intuition. This is actually where we identify most customer gaps. So this comes from things like you might say like, um, there's three different ways you could find the same gap. So our reps are frustrated. Um, they've got so many leads coming in, a lot of volume of leads, and it's too much work for them to sort through those leads. It can be hard to know what to prioritize. And so our reps are just, they're so frustrated. It's hard to do their job. And they're saying, listen, we need lead scoring. And that's just based on the intuition of your team. Uh, and, you know, they're probably right. Um, but you have to think about how do I prioritize that against other work that we could be doing. Um, another way that you can find gaps is going to be through intuition. And that literally is um, something that might look like, hey, I'm a RevOps professional. I came from a prior company. Our lead scoring was pretty great. And I see that you don't have any here and your reps seem overwhelmed. How about we do lead scoring? I have experience with it. I know how to put that in. It's just based on like that experience of like, hey, this is what this really functioning RevOps machine could look like. And then that third one is really based on the direct experience of your customers. Like this is a little bit reactive. Hopefully you don't get to this place, but like maybe you get an email from a high value prospect and they say, you know, I was really curious about your business. I filled out your contact sales form a week ago and I never heard back. And I heard back really fast from your competitor. Talk about speed to lead. So I went with them, but I thought you'd want to know. And then you're saying like, dang, that's a lead we should have prioritized. That's lost revenue. That's lead leakage. I think we need some lead scoring. Um, so when we come full circle, we come back to the idea of this customer journey mapping. It's like, Hey, we all already, um, have intuition. We have pains that's felt internally on our team that help us think about work streams that we might prioritize to impact the customer experience. We all already have, um, experience in this RevOps space, these ideas of things that we might do that might be impactful. But it's through trying to put yourself in the shoes of your customer that you're going to be able to think about the scale and the impact of that work on the real experience of your customers. And that's the only way that you can look at, say, that lead scoring project and say, this is having real revenue impact. We're losing real customers versus looking at a project that, you know, hey, it might be frustrating your reps. They have maybe a really manual process to convert. Um opportunities but maybe even if it's frustrating for them it's not really making a difference to uh, the experience of your customers and so you would know that that project can wait while you think about lead scoring where in this case it's truly changing that customer experience so that's kind of the first part is like okay so there's these three different ways you can find customer gaps all three of these are valid it's just that when you put yourself in the shoes of your customers you really get to like test What's the impact of this? And then mm-hmm. um, the second thing is that one mistake that a lot of companies make is they they say like, okay, I want to do that. I want to put myself in the shoes of my customer. And they're going to start analyzing their customer journey, but they'll do that and it'll look almost like a business process review. 
So it's really internal. It's focusing too much on, you know, all right, um, I upload the leads to this system. I slack so-and-so and I let her know that I did it. She takes this action. It's like a list. It's a checklist. And so that what that's going to show you is it looks at your pipeline in terms of like these handoffs and internal processes, but it doesn't really give you the insight into the gaps that have the most impact on your customer and therefore the most impact on your revenue. So definitely. Yeah. So what we like, I'll say that there's a lot of uh, a lot of rumblings in our space about playbooks mm -hmm. um, and. And I think I, I've seen a lot of people criticize them and but not necessarily explain why playbooks aren't always a good idea. So I think playbooks are an ex example of those experience uh, based knowledge where it's like, hey, I did this mm -hmm. at this other company. Like you, you're going back to your example of lead scoring, like, hey, we set this up this way. Yeah. It works great. And the thing is, is unless you're going to a direct competitor um, and even then still there's some nuances. The, your customer is going to be different. The things, the world changes, life changes, the way people buy changes. And so you have to really take a step back and think about, hey, what's what's really going on now and what's going and how do these customers interact with this organization for you to, to have a good playbook? So it's like, it's not that you can't have a framework or you can't have, you know, some higher level methodology on how you, how you approach these things, but um, to go in super rigid like that and be like, well, this worked at this last company. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I think that's totally right. It's like, you could think about like these three ways of finding customer gaps as almost being like, um, like how accurate do you want to be? It's like, if you're going to find them through the intuition of your team, like you're probably going to get close, but you're not going to hit the mark all the time. It's not always going to translate that your team's intuition is the thing that um, really pulls that lever for customer experience. You might get a little bit closer on the experience-based work, but you're going to get the closest when you're finding those gaps directly by focusing on customer experience. Mm -hmm. I'd like to, for a second, talk about the five A's because I think that's a great way for us to provide some more direction on like how we would actually do this. Um, so those are, I believe, aware, activate, acquire, adopt, and yeah. advocate. Um, and so what you, what you would want to do, uh, or what we do is, you know, we take those five A's and we create sections and then we get a room full of folks from marketing, sales, customer success. And we say like, hey, how does your customer become aware of you, your products, your divisions? How do you activate them? How do you acquire? Um, how, do you, how do they adopt what you're doing? And then there's the advocate, which is sort of the, what, what I think people might think of like yeah. as upsell and cross-sell. Um, I know that we do it in person, <laughs> not super often. Um, it, I'm sure this whole process was born on Post-its somewhere. Um, we use various tools, but I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit more yeah. to that process and some reflections so, you've had. Uh, I, I, I love situating those five A's with this, within this idea of something that's called the bow tie funnel. And so it's this idea of like, if you imagine that you just took mm -hmm. the sales funnel and you flipped it on its side, 
Um, the sales funnel really ends at this point of closed one. Um, but that's not really where your customer journey ends. It expands from there. And so it, the those five A's really translate, you know, aware is like that marketing piece. Acquire, or sorry, activate. They start to sort of engage with sales. Acquire is like really like, oh, like that late, late funnel process of closing the deal. But then it doesn't end there. It actually goes over to like, how do you become a customer? What's that handoff from sales? to your customer success team in that adopt phase? And then how do you become that happy customer who's ready to provide a referral or sign a renewal or expand that deal? And that's that advocate phase. And so you see that funnel kind of opening up again on the right. That's why we call that the bow tie funnel. Um, but what's cool about that and like the way you worded it is like, instead of writing these down, it's like, hey, uh, what's your marketing to sales handoff, marketing to SDR, SDR to AE, AE to customer success. This is not about those internal handoffs. This is about saying like, how does your customer experience first getting to know you? What is it like for them when they first connect with an SDR? What is it like for them when they're qualified and they get handed off to that AE? You know, if you've ever been a part of a sales cycle and you've had that experience of like account amnesia, where you talk to an SDR and then you get on the next call and the AE is like, so tell me about your company and your needs. And you're like, I just did that. I just did that with your colleague. Did you not watch the recording or read the notes? Like that is an experience gap, that account amnesia piece. And that's the kind of thing that when you're not thinking about this from that experience perspective, you might miss that. Um, but okay. So you were talking about like, how do we do this at Go Nimbly? Like, how do we like leverage something like the bow tie funnel and these five A's to actually identify customer gaps? And you, you said something really important there, which was how we get all these teams together in the room. Uh, so this is important. Mm-hmm. Cause I want, I want people to feel yeah. like they could do this. Cause, um, you know, I, 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 there's this question of like, who does this? Cause I think it might be hard for some folks to think about if they have the right authority or how do I even start this conversation? Because um, I think we've we've given everybody like an art store and they've walked in and they're like, wow, like, what do I pick first? The fir- most important part is you want to bring your whole revenue yeah. team together. And for us, we think about that revenue team as being like everybody who's on that um, go to market side, you've got your representatives from marketing, you've got sales, you've got customer success. And then you also have like the operators who are supporting that process. And so we like to think of that as like, hey, your RevOps team and your go to market team together are under this umbrella of revenue. You bring these folks together and then you walk through those five A's of the funnel and you're asking like, hey, how do your customers learn about you? What is that like? What are they thinking and feeling? How, um, you know, how do you know that they're ready to, you know, uh, be routed to an SDR for that um, interaction and questions like that? And really making sure that you've got someone in the room who's playing that facilitator role where they're keep bringing it back to the high level of what the customer experience is like. Some questions that can really help drive that line of inquiry are going to be things like, hey, where have you seen this? Mm-hmm. Where have you seen, why do customers drop out yeah. at this phase of the journey? Why do people get frustrated? I have some, I have some really good examples of like real life stuff. Um, <laughs> because yeah. I will say that when you go through this process, 
it's, it is, I've seen it work. Like I've seen teams be like, wow, I never thought of it like that way. Um, I'm a big fan of, of Chris Walker. Uh, he's got a great podcast. He's listening. I was definitely inspired by you. And one of the things that he says is early on, as he points out how like, Hey, I'm a marketer that hopped on a sales call. And I literally talked to these people that MQL'd because they downloaded a PDF and they were not ready to buy and they were not happy. And it was a bad experience for all involved. Yeah. Now that's great. And the thing is, yeah. if you take that back, like, so I'm, I just go to my company. I'm like, we shouldn't MQL people that fill out a PDF anymore. Like that might not go over very well because that's how the company's always functioned. And now sales isn't getting as many leads. And I would say in an activity like this, you might have those people thinking like, wait, is that like, what is you, you have everyone in the room and they're like, what is the customer feeling when they download a five tips PDF that is loosely related to your company? I mean, does that mean that they're ready to talk to sales and that they're all of a sudden in your funnel? Like, is your funnel serving the customer or is it serving you and your priorities? And I think when we have this group discussion on that, a lot of um, sort of like eye-opening experiences come to the surface. Yeah, absolutely. Some other tips for like, if you're going to do this yourself, if you're going to get these um, stakeholders together and map that customer journey, one of the most important things um, that I want to emphasize is you really need to create some space in that room for just thinking about that customer experience without pointing fingers, mm -hmm. without solutioning in that room for how you solve these things. You don't want to put anybody on the defensive. You don't want a space where, you know, customer success shouldn't be saying like, you know, like, well, um, they're pissed because sales did a horrible job of setting expectations. It shouldn't feel like that. You know, you really want to phrase things in terms of like, yeah, people are thinking, feeling and experiencing this, but um, do a little bit of norm setting at the top. Talk about like, hey, we're in this room to put ourselves in the shoes of the customer. We're not here to point fingers or to lay blame for any gaps that might exist. Um, you really need to make sure that there's that space for collaboration. And then the second piece is you really want to stay focused on that customer experience. And what that means is you have to make sure that you're not solutioning the gaps that you identify. So, you know, to go back to that earlier example, if you are talking about lead leakage at your top of funnel, this shouldn't become a meeting that's about the right way for your company to implement lead scoring. You should make sure that you feel like you've accurately represented what that's like for your customers right now, and you move on to the next stage of the funnel. Because it's at the end of this process that you're going to look back and say, okay, what are the gaps that we identified? And how do we think about prioritizing those gaps and putting these initiatives to work against those gaps on some kind of a ding, 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 callback ro roadmap? <laughs> uh, and so that's that's where this comes full circle is like the output of this kind of work is exactly the kind of priorities that should be feeding into a really strategic RevOps roadmap that DJ talked to you about. Full circle. Full circle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One thing I want to call out is that the idea of customer journey mapping, 
it's one tool when you start thinking about things from a customer perspective that's going to be really important. It's a mm-hmm. really good jumping off point, but it's not the only way to take a customer lens to identifying customer experience gaps. Mm-hmm. There's other things that you can do to actually test what that customer experience is like. So we won't go into these like in a lot of depth, but don't forget that you also have tools in your tool belt, like literally interview customers, interview closed loss prospects, interview churned customers, um, pretend to be a customer, go on your own website. Fill out your contact us form with like a promising uh, URL and see how long it takes people to reach out to you. Go back and watch call recordings. Use conversation intelligence from tools like Chorus or Gong and see what that experience is like. Um, Really, there's a lot of ways to put yourself in the shoes of your customer. And so when you come out of a process like customer journey mapping, You're going to come out of that with gaps identified. You're also going to come out of it with what we call known unknowns, areas where you find that despite the fact that you are the team that creates this customer experience, you're not sure what that customer experience is like at that stage in your bow tie funnel. You can go and test that. You can go and find out. Like you've got a hypothesis now. Go be a scientist and and figure out what that's like. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Go be a scientist, by the way, is the new motto for this episode. <laughs> um, yeah, like a social science scientist. Um, yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. So it's also supposed to be just, it's about being very human in this process. It's about really understanding what this is like for people and getting in touch with your empathy and being willing to say, no, I'm not really sure what that's like for people, but I bet I could find out. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Yeah. Um, I think that our industry is a little biased towards growth and acquisition and yeah. that new and the excitement and the dopamine that comes from getting that yeah. new account. And at the same time, I, I think it is so important to get in touch with your customer and go s- sift through the the less exciting stuff like what you were saying with closed mm. lost deals um you know to be fully honest like we're doing that at go nimbly we're going through closed loss and we're centering some campaigns around it and at first christy and i were kind of like all right and you know now now we see the value but it is hard because you you want to be forward thinking mm. and the reality is is that there's so much data and information and useful insights there um, that that really can inform your your strategies. Absolutely, I think there is a common theme here of like really putting yourself in the shoes of your customers, the empathy that that takes, and also the humility. Like looking at those close close mm-hmm. deals and really saying like, well, why why was this experience not what this person was looking for? Like honestly, it can feel like like. A, <laughs> Like looking at your, calling up your ex and saying like, hey, why'd you break up with me? Or (laughs) talking to someone and saying, so you didn't swipe right on Tinder. What's that about? Like, it feels a little bit like that. It's vulnerable, but you will learn things. Mm -hmm. So we've talked a lot about customer experience gaps. Are those the only things that RevOps teams should prioritize? Because I know it's an operator. I love the customer. 
but I experienced a lot of gaps myself. Gaps. In the so tech. We, we talked about a lot of like what customer gaps are, uh, how you can find them through these different methods. But I think if you, as a RevOps team, if you go back and you look, and this is a great exercise to do, I recommend it to everybody, look at the last quarter or look at the last couple of quarters and really think about what your team was focused on. I suspect that you would be able to break that workout into roughly um, three, maybe four buckets. So that first bucket is going to be um, these experience gaps. I think for most teams, unless you already have a practice of this, that's going to be your smallest bucket. Um, but in addition to that, I think the next one you're going to find is going to be what we call scale gaps. So scale gaps are anything that are about increasing your carry capacity as your team grows. So this can look like work that is absolutely super important. Um, it might not be as sexy. It might be a little bit harder to tie it directly to revenue. It might be projects where you're saying like, listen, in order for my uh, team to work efficiently, I really need to have my product data directly linked and went to my sales force. And there's a lot of thought that needs to go into making that integration effective and having it really support our business process. Something like that does a lot to make your team more efficient, make your team more effective, increase your carry capacity. But I can't directly tell you like, hey, that's going to solve for a particular gap in your customer experience. I mean, maybe I could tell you a story about that. It's awesome if you're mm -hmm. Um, if your customer success reps are really in tune with like usage data or early churn indicators, and they're really able to reach out and plan a retention play around that, you know, you can make the story there. But there's a lot of that work that's really about like, how do we prepare to scale as a business? And there's a lot of work that RevOps needs to do in that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think you'll look back and see your, your team doing a lot of work in that space. Um, the third bucket, though, is something called internal efficiency gaps, or we call it that. So um, efficiency gaps are really anything that is just looking at your process and saying, like, oh, here's something that's frustrating. Let's fix it. And oftentimes, this is what you get when you have a mm -hmm. RevOps team that really thinks of their stakeholder as being marketing and sales and customer success rather than the customer. And so it's going to be like, hey, marketing's really do they really yep. want us to fix this for them? You're going to get a lot of things like that where you're prioritizing based on that squeakiest wheel internally. Um, and like efficiency is great and it, it can impact carry capacity, which can in turn um, help revenue. But streamlining a process that's keeping you from scaling might save each one of your reps a couple of minutes. But most of us are not running a massive 1,000 person sales team. We're saving a couple minutes here and there really adds up to being worthwhile when you compare that against projects that are tied to really impactful issues of scale and really impactful issues of friction in your buying experience. So I, when you look back at the work that you did and you see that mm -hmm. reactive work that comes from complaints internally, and you see how many of those might be tied to internal efficiency gaps, and you ask yourself, what was the impact of that work ultimately on customer experience and revenue? You might find that there's places where the juice wasn't mm -hmm. worth the squeeze. So... To summarize, these are these yep. three areas that I think a RevOps team um, finds themselves prioritizing these customer experience gaps, these scale gaps, and these internal efficiency gaps. 
And all three of them are important, but thinking about the balance between the three is something that I think a really mature RevOps team does really well. They do that by thinking of their stakeholder as being the customer. And so being able to balance that with these um, needs that come from internal stakeholders like marketing and sales and being able to push back and think about what's going to have the biggest impact for the long term. I know that as somebody that tends to be a little bit of a pleaser, uh, I've learned that making making people around me super happy in the work that I do isn't always the best at scaling an organization and growing through revenue. So I will leave that into the the universe. <laughs> it's tough. I know. That's that's the thing. Like sometimes being a firefighter, like really being responsive, picking up that red telephone when it rings and saying, I'll be right there. I'll put that fire out. What a dopamine hit. You get to be the hero. Like firefighters are heroes. Uh, but at the end of the day, the end of the week, at the end of mm-hmm. the quarter, when you look back at what you've built and what you've accomplished, yep. if all you were able to prioritize is reactive work, you are not going to be as effective as a RevOps team. Yeah. And going back to the point of, you know, making folks around you happy, because that's what we want to do. Like these tools, these tech things break. We want to fix them. Um, we want to keep the machine running. Uh, and I think sometimes it can be hard to even want to lean into some of the things we're talking about today because they just feel almost like a distraction or they're too big. So do you have any you know, advice around like if you should lean into the biggest gaps or like where to start? Because I know that's a huge sticking point for me is feeling like I need to boil an ocean and just kind of falling back into that, you know, those quick wins and sort of picking at things versus thinking holistically and strategically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, if you if you really run with what we're talking about here, if you say like, oh, awesome, I'm going to do customer journey mapping, get everybody together, you figure out what those gaps are, you interrogate those gaps, you figure out what those known unknowns are, and you come away with that big, big list. Um and you think about prioritiz- prioritizing those gaps and what's going to have the biggest impact, you would naturally think, well, let me solve for the areas of the biggest friction in my buying experience first. That's really a natural reaction. But like you said, it's overwhelming. And so I think it's important to remember something about human psychology when you're um, prioritizing which gaps to work on and think about how, and that's in um, how those gaps relate to the impact on someone's buying experience with you can be a little bit counterintuitive. Um, towards that, there's, um, there's a book that I read a couple of years ago that I always think about. Uh, so I'll give credit where credit's due. It's called The Power of Moments. It's by um, these two fellows. I think they're brothers, uh, Chip and Dan Heath. And in it, they tell this anecdote that I think is really cool where a family goes to visit Disneyland. And uh, imagine that you want to map what their experience is like when they go to Disneyland. And so maybe you text them a survey every hour of their day. You text them a survey early in the morning when they're getting ready to leave their hotel. 
And they're so excited. They're like getting their kids dressed in little Disney costumes, getting ready to head out the door. And they're like, oh, eight out of 10. So excited. They get to the park and they see the Magic Kingdom rising before them. They're even more excited, like nine out of 10. They get into the park and the first thing they have to do is like wait in a bunch of lines. And so like that dips for them. It goes down to a five. Um, Then maybe um, like they ride Space Mountain and it's the best thing ever and it's a 10. And then they overpay for lunch and it's a seven. And then they have to wait in more lines in the heat and it's a three. Uh, and then they are getting towards the end of their day and they take a really cute family photo with little Mickey Mouse ears and like that's like an eight. Um, and then maybe you um, you look at that data. You know, you work for Disneyland and you want to think about cool. How do we make yeah. a better experience at our parks? I looked at that. And the average experience across that day, um, I don't really know what the map was from the numbers I shared with you, but let's say it's like a six. On average, it's like a six. And you think, well, I get that average up if I fix that three where they were waiting in line in the heat. And so you put a lot of effort into fixing that. But that would be a little bit of a red herring because if you reach out to that same family, like, you know, two weeks or a month later, and you say, hey, um how was your trip to disneyland uh and you say rank the whole experience out of 10 the vast majority of people are going to look back on that day and they're going to say oh my gosh we had such a good time it was like i would say it's like a nine out of ten because what happens there is that People, when they think about an experience, they yeah. average it all together like a calculator. Instead, think about two things. They think about mm-hmm. peaks and they think about ends. So they're looking and they're remembering riding Space Mountain. And they remember taking that cute family photo with the Mickey Mouse ears. And so when we look at this data, we have to remember that great experiences yep. hinge on peak moments. And that most experiences mm-hmm. are mostly forgettable and occasionally right. remarkable. And so what can we learn from that? Mm-hmm. What we can learn is that fixing problems yeah. is not what makes people happy. Fixing problems like just just like wellness people. They're like, okay, that's fine. Um, instead, you've got a bigger opportunity to turn experiences that are just okay or like they're already pretty yeah. good. If you can turn that into a peak, you're going to have a memorable impact on someone's experience as opposed to taking something that's bad and making it just okay. In the long run, that might not impact someone's experience at all. Um, so this example is like Disneyland. And so you might be thinking like, cool, how do I take something like that? And how do I apply that to something like Thinking about how I, as a revenue operator, yeah. can change customer experience. Um, so another example that I think is really impactful for like, how does this like translate to the business world? Is like, okay, let's say that you, as a revenue operator, um, you get access to some really great net promoter score data about your business, right? And you're looking at that net promoter score, um, just in case you're not familiar with it. Yeah. If you've ever taken one of those surveys that says, hey, how likely are you on a scale of one to 10 (laughs) to recommend our business to a friend or colleague? Something not everyone might know uh, is that when you fill that out, if you give a nine or a 10, you're considered a promoter. 
If you give a seven or an eight, you are just neutral. Um, you're passive, even though you might think an eight's pretty good. And then anything like zero through six, even a mm -hmm. six is considered a detractor. And so you might look at that data and, you know, your net promoter score is calculated as the percent of answers who are a nine or a 10 minus the percent of answers who are detractors. And it can be anywhere from mm -hmm. positive 100 to negative 100. And so if someone gives you that data and they say, how can you make this better? You might say, oh, how about I like reduce the percent of detractors? Yeah. That would really increase Simple our score. And so you go out and yeah, you look at the data and you say like, hey, yeah, all these people giving us threes, they were so frustrated by our contact us sales form. I want to like fix all these or something like that. Um, but what you might be missing might be that mm -hmm. if I rate you a three, how far am I yeah. really from buying from you? You know, maybe it's a contact, contact us sales form. Maybe it's an easy fix. I'm not sure. Like you have to apply it to your business. But maybe even if I fix that, you still have a list of 10 other components. It's really expensive to go out there and take your detractors, mm -hmm. your zero through six, yeah. and weld them. Moving one of the people up to a seven or an eight costs a lot. And what do you get? You get more people that are passive. For sure. But what if instead, what if instead of looking at the worst part of the data, looking at the three on your Disneyland experience, looking at the zero through sixes on your NPS scores, what if we looked at the sevens and the eights? What if we look at that, those points in the day when that family ranked the, the experience a seven or an eight, or the people who give your net promoter score a seven or an eight, and we said, how do we create peaks here? How do we turn these passive people into mm -hmm. promoters? Data shows that doing that is actually more affordable. It costs a lot less to impress someone who's neutral than it does to whelm someone who's negative. And in that case, you might be turning someone from uh, a closed last deal into a closed one deal, into a customer, or turning someone who's a customer from someone who might churn into someone who would give your business referrals and recommend you to other people. So if there's one thing that I could kind of add as like a, a different way of thinking about customer gaps when you find them, I would say, remember that these are humans that you're changing this experience for. And you are yeah. looking for those people who are great for your, for your product, for your company. You are trying to create the experience of peaks for them. You're trying to make them promoters. Look for those people who just need a little change in their experience to really have that magical experience that they're looking for and, and becoming mm -hmm. like your customer. Um, your customer journey gaps. See if there's any opportunities like that to create a peak for someone. Because if all you're doing is going out there is fixing the worst things and paving potholes, you might make a lot of frustrated people less frustrated. But are you going to really convert more customers? No. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, like this is all. <laughs> if you're a skeptical skeptical person, you're probably coming up with some counter examples and saying, well, what if I saw this in the data? Could someone fix that and convert some more customers? Like, sure, yeah. I bet. Like, I'm proud. It's probably a great example. I think. Um, but and it's all about like having this perspective that, hey, when you prioritize those gaps and think about where you could have the most impact, remember that it's easier to get someone across the finish line if they're already almost there. Yeah.
definitely. And I think it's hard for people in our, our space, our SaaS space, because so many SaaS companies have great culture, a great mm-hmm. product. Mm-hmm. Everybody's really pumped about it. And of course, you want to go after everyone and everything. And so I think prioritizing the customer experience gives you that needed direction and can save you a lot of time and energy. Oh, yeah. And I, I think you're alluding to something really smart there, which is that, and that this could be a topic for a whole other podcast, but how <laughs> do you, as a revenue operator, really know your ideal customer profile? And how do you refine that over time to become really targeted and effective at generating revenue? I think there's something here about, you know, how you interpret customer experience gaps to understand what to prioritize. Part of that is refining mm-hmm. ICP knowing which of those customers you really are going after. Um, so that should be a topic for a future episode. I'm I'm here for it. I'm always looking for next topics and I may or may not tap you on the shoulder because it's been super fun to have you here today. <laughs> well, thank you, Adam. It has been super fun. It's always fun getting to chat with you. Well, again, thank you for your time, Nikki, and thank you for your insight. And thank you everyone for listening thus far.